I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, starting today in verse 35. You can find that on Pew Bible, page 964, Pew Bible 964, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. We're going to skip ahead today. We should be in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. That's where we are in our study of the long-term series, working through the theological biography of Jesus called the Gospel of Matthew, a series that we've been calling Following Jesus. And we've just finished the section normally called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So the normal next step for this morning would be to watch Jesus come down from the mountainside and see what happens next. I'll tell you what happens next. Jesus goes right back to healing people calling people to follow him, and working amazing miracles that reveal who he really is. We'll see more of that next week. But as I was reading ahead in the Gospel of Matthew, I got stuck on this paragraph at the end of chapter 9. It's kind of the end of this next section that we're going to enter next week. Verses 35 through 38. I've preached it here several times over the last 20 years. It's a very meaningful text to me and probably very familiar to you, but as I was reading it this week, I was thinking especially about the Good News Cruise. And I was thinking about our hopes for the cruise in and, and what we hope will happen here on our campus this coming Saturday. This passage is about the mission that Jesus is on and the mission that Jesus calls us to as well. In fact, we often think of this passage as a missions text, international missions. And it is, but it's just as relevant to our living the missional life here today. I think of this passage of Scripture as a guide for how to do the Good News Cruise. As we watch Jesus see the crowd and react to the crowd, I think it shows us how we're supposed to see the people who will be visiting our campus and how to think about them and pray for them and try to reach them with the gospel. So this morning, let's skip ahead to chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Let me read it to you. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's our text. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the last 12 months of preparing for the Good News Cruise. Kind of starts out as a, yep, we're going to do it again, and then it's a, okay, let's set a date, and then it's okay, what, what do we need to do to get ready for that? And there's a lot of work behind the scenes. And then there's a big lot of work this last week. Help us, Lord, to get it all done. But in the midst of all of that, Lord, help us to remember why we're doing it and how we're doing it. Because we want to do it like Jesus did. So, Lord, give us a glimpse of that here in your word. We pray it in the name of our great Savior, Jesus, who we've been singing about all morning. He is our one defense. He is our righteousness. We need him. Oh Lord, how we need him. We pray this in his name. Amen.
Keith likes to remind us that the Good News Cruise is not primarily about cars, it's primarily about people. And every year we get more people here on our campus. There's a sea of people out there between the cars. How should we look at them? How should we see them? With what eyes? What should be our perspective on these people who are here as our guests? I'm told that we have one of the friendliest cruise-ins in the whole area. That's wonderful. I love to walk up and down the aisles of cars at the Good News Cruise. Not so much to look at the cars themselves, though there sure are some beauties out there, but more to look at and talk to the people. One year, Keith was looking for me at the cruise-in, and he easily found me, and he said, I knew where you'd be, out there in the middle somewhere, talking to someone. That made me feel good that I could be predictable in that way. There's a lot of different kinds of people here at the cruise, aren't there? Have you, have you all been to the Good News Cruise? If you haven't, it's this Saturday you should come, 4 to 8. You can bring a ride or just park over here and then walk in and, and check everything out. There's a lot of different kinds of people. Car owners, spectators, community people. There are a lot of people that are like you and me in significant ways. And there are people not like you and me in significant ways. I look at the crowd and I have, I'll be honest, various initial reactions when I see some of the people coming. Someone's like, whoa, buddy. What's your initial reaction when you see the people? In Matthew chapter 9, our Lord Jesus sees a large crowd. In fact, he sees more than one large crowd. In this stage of his life and ministry, there were many crowds that he interacted with. Everywhere he went, Jesus was kind of like a rock star at this point in his ministry. Between his teachings and especially his miracles, there were a lot of crowds. People everywhere. And he got really tired. What did Jesus see when he looked at the crowds? A lot of work to do. Our Lord Jesus often sees things differently than we do, doesn't he? Our Lord often sees things differently than we do. I think this passage tells us about our Lord's perspective and shows us what to see when we look out at the crowd at the Good News Cruise. Three questions for us this morning. Here's number one. Do you see the people? Not just the crowd, but the people. In verse 35, we get a bullet point description of Jesus' work in these early years of his traveling ministry. It's, it's really a bookend to the section that began in chapter 4, verse 23. If you, if you take a second and look back at chapter 4, 23, 9.35 sounds almost exactly the same. Matthew's obviously saying from 4.23 to 9.35 is kind of a section of Scripture, and it's got these bookends that say this is what he's doing. He's doing three main things. He's teaching in synagogues. He's preaching, and specifically he's preaching the gospel of the upside-down, inside-out kingdom of God that we've been learning about in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's been healing all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. We're going to see more. We're going to go back next week and start to see that in chapters 8 and 9 to get here. Very busy time period in the life of Jesus. And he was on a mission But in the rush of ministry, our Lord did not fail to notice the people. 
Everywhere he went, Jesus saw people, big people, small people, clean people, dirty people, rich people, poor people, hungry people, sick people, 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 people. And verse 36 says that when he saw the crowds, he had, what does it say? Compassion on them. The Greek word for compassion literally means to have your guts wrenched in pity and sympathy. Like, oh, he felt it right here in his gut. It hurt Jesus to see people like this. And I mean that, it hurt. That's what he means by compassion. It wasn't just like, oh. It was, oh. The people were, in Jesus' sight, verse 36, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We know they had some shepherds, but they were the Pharisees and the scribes, and we know what kind of shepherds they were. What do you think a sheep is like that doesn't have a shepherd? I'll tell you in one word. Lost. Right? Sheep are dumb animals. I've said this many times and it, it makes me laugh every time, but sheep are so dumb, they can get lo- How dumb are they, right? They, they can get lost walking into a garage, okay? So like there's this great big open garage. It's open on one big side. They walk into the garage... And they're lost. They have no idea how to get out of the garage. We're like, turn around. But that's how lost a sheep can be. I think that's why Jesus used the sheep as his go-to image for us people. Because that's us. If sheep don't have a shepherd, if they don't have a leader, if they they don't have a provider, they don't have a caretaker, they're done in. They're lost cause. They are helpless. And when Jesus looked out over over these crowds of people, he saw shepherdless sheep. They were harassed and helpless. They had forces at work against them which were way too powerful for them to stand against. They were in danger and in turmoil because a lost sheep is a dead sheep. A lost sheep will be found by a predator. A lost sheep is somebody's supper. Our Lord, when he saw that, he felt compassion for them. Jesus loved these shepherdless sheep. Jesus loved lost people. How do we feel about lost people? Kind of tired of them? Wish they'd get their act together? Wish they'd straighten up, clean up, be more like me, be more like us? The question that God is asking us today is, do we see the people? Not just the cars, but the people. Do our hearts break when we see and interact with lost people? Or are we too complacent and self-satisfied and self-centered? Do we love the lost? Or are we rather repulsed by them? I firmly believe that our biggest problem in evangelism is not that we don't know what to say. I think many of us know here what to say, or we'd figure it out. We know what the gospel is. I I believe that our biggest problem in evangelism is a lack of love. It's a lack of compassion. I know that's my biggest problem in evangelism. Our hearts are not moved by the plight of those who do not know Jesus Christ as their shepherd. Do we think about that? 
Bill Hamill, our former EFCA president, whom we are praying for as he is in hospice now with untreatable cancer. I, I read this week that he's sleeping 95% of the day. Bill Hamill regularly challenged our churches to love the last, the least, and the lost. That was his phrase. I love it. The last, the least, and the lost. And if we don't, he said, we aren't acting like Jesus. Because this is how Jesus saw us, right? Jesus looked at our helplessness before sin. He looked at our harassment by Satan, and he took pity on us. It hurt him to see how we are. And that's before he took the nails. That's why he took the nails. Jesus loved us even though there was nothing in us to commend us to him. We were his enemies. And yet Jesus pulled us to himself with covenant love. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because Jesus saw how harassed and helpless you were without him and he had compassion on you. So we should do the same. When I say the word Muslim, what happens in your heart? Do you feel anger? Do you feel revulsion? Do you feel fear? Or are you moved with compassion? Muslim people are lost people. They're harassed and helpless. They don't have a shepherd. So we should love them. Not because Muslims are innately lovable, but because Jesus chose to love them. You and I should have our guts wrenched with an ache for their salvation. I have heard Christians call them towel heads and hope they get out of our country. Yuck. There are over 1.1 billion Muslims in the world, 80% of whom have never heard the gospel, ever. I read a statistic this week that of the 350,000 Christian missionaries in the world, only around 5,000 of them work in Muslim contexts. Do we see the people? Now, I don't expect there'll be many Muslims here on Saturday. But the question is, do we care? How about this one? When I say the words poor people, what happens in your heart? Do you squirm? Do you feel revulsion? an aversion to talking about poverty. Over a billion people in this world live on about one U.S. dollar per day. Three billion live on less than $2.50. Every day around 10,000 people, most of them children, die from the results of dirty drinking water. There are 68.5 million refugees in this world. And 85% of the world's poorest countries lie within the 1040 window the least evangelized part of the world. In other words, if you're poor, you're harassed, you're helpless, and have a much smaller chance of hearing the gospel. Do we care? Do we see the people? Your neighbor down the street with the loud dogs, the beer cans in his yard, you think maybe there's some heroin. The raucous parties on Saturday night, the four-wheelers peeling over your newly planted grass, You see him at the Good News Cruise this week. He's coming down the aisle your way. What do you do? You turn away, walk down the other side. Oh, this is an interesting car right here. Wait for them to pass. Do you fear for his soul? Do we see the people? 
Or do we care too much for our comfort, our convenience, and our security? What are you going to do when you look out at the people on Saturday? They'll be right out there. Three, four rows of them. Semi-truck maybe. Motorcycles over here. Are you just looking at the cars? Or do you see the people? You know, when I say they're harassed and helpless, I don't mean that some of them don't look really good. They clean up well. They have a nice-looking car. Many of them are good, upstanding, moral people. Don't hear me saying that we can't learn from them too. Absolutely we can. We, we need to be careful labeling people as lost or helpless and make it sound like they're not smart people like us. Then they'd have it all together. As if they have nothing to offer others. That's far from the truth. But we know what we were like before we had Jesus, right? Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We all like sheep, all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. What do you see? When you go to Sheets and there's a bunch of people in the line, what do you do? Pull out your phone and you start scrolling, right? That's what I do. You look around. You think, these are people for whom Jesus died? How do I love them? When you, when you look out and you see community people on our playground over here, what do you see? You see single moms that are struggling to make it. You see people trapped in addictive behaviors. You see sheep that don't have a shepherd. In my job, I talk to a lot of people, and it, I admit it is very easy for me to get compassion fatigued and to stop caring. We get phone calls. Somebody's at the truck stop, and their car's broken down, and they need a meal, or they need a night in the motel. And, I, and sometimes I get the phone call. I'm just being honest here. I'm like, why? When I see the phone, when I see it's the quick stop, it says, my phone says, it's quick stop. I know what that is. That's a needy person. Does my heart go, oh, I know what they need. They need Jesus. I'm sure that Jesus got tired. But when he saw the crowds, he got compassionate. What do we see when we look out on our community? Do we just see our school and our post offices and our truck stop and our families and our things? Or do we see shepherdless sheep who are harassed and helpless without Jesus? Now, I'm not saying on, Sunday, on Saturday that you should walk around saying, Hi, I see you're harassed and helpless. Let me tell you about Jesus. Right? No, we're, we're telling them the flip side of it. John 10.10 10, that, that, that Keith quoted, it says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And it's in the context of talking about Jesus as the good shepherd who, ta- who gives them the best kind of grass. He leads them into Psalm 23, kind of quiet waters and good food. In other words, we don't say, you're harassed and helped, we say, we say, let me tell you about the shepherd. See, that's the whole point of the Good News Cruise. Keith has written up a, a little message. It's got an engine up here, and uh, it kind of goes over what he, he talked about earlier with the, uh, the tuned up for life, the spark, the fuel, the air, kind of our message to them. There's going to be one of these in every goodie bag that we, we're going to pack on Thursday night. And this is what he says in it, quote, God and his saving grace through Jesus is our spark. 
Without Christ, we have no hope in the future. We need Jesus to be the point of hope in this life and throughout eternity. End quote. That's why we do the Good News Cruise. Because we want to see people the way that Jesus sees people. Now in verse 37, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says that he can see something else about those people that they probably can't. It's very important. Look at verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, he's changing the metaphor from sheep to farming, okay? But, it, but you, you, you can follow him, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus looks at these shepherds and sheep, and he sees something more that we often don't see. He sees potential. You see the potential? Jesus looked at these people, sinners, every single one of them. When he looked out, he never saw a crowd that was full of saints, right? Oh, they don't need me. <laughs> they don't need a shepherd. They're, they're good. No, he, he looks out on every crowd that's full of sinners, but what he sees is potential followers. He sees a harvest. He, he sees a church that he was going to build using lost people. He saw a harvest of souls, one to the gospel of the kingdom, one to the king. Do we see the potential? Everywhere you go, among all the people you see, are the elect of God sprinkled throughout humanity. Do we see potential Christians everywhere we go? Some of us, we see the lost, we feel their lostness, but we don't feel hope for them. We see their harassment, we see their helplessness on their own, we see their shepherdlessness. There's a new word for you, shepherdlessness but we miss their potential to be shepherded. That is a big part of my problem. I see the lostness. I feel it in my gut. But so often, too often, I have a hard time envisioning what God might do with them if I'm bold enough to allow Him to use me. But Jesus sees redeemable humanity among the lostness. He did it to me, right? He did in you. He saw, he saw beyond our sin and our guilt and our shame, and He came after us. He saw the potential harvest in us. Not that we had anything to offer Him. We didn't qualify for even one of His gifts to us, but He knew what He was going to do with us, and we'll be forever grateful. So that coworker that bugs the living daylights out of you could soon be your brother in Christ. Your landlord who just about steals your hard-earned money, might soon be your sister in Christ. Your hard-hearted father, who's never had anything good to say about you or to you, may soon be a fellow Christian. For real. Some person you'd rather despise is walking up and down the aisles of cars next week. Somebody who's basically your enemy might soon be a part of your spiritual family. Because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Ask the Apostle Paul. God is in the business of changing murderers into saints. You and I need to ask God that we begin to see every lost person we come into contact with as a potential Christian. Is that hard? I find it hard. I mean, theoretically, I agree with that, but that's, i got to get my theology in gear in my life. Now, they won't all turn to Christ. 
In fact, a depressing number of them will take the broad road that leads to destruction that Jesus was talking about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But we have no idea who will and who won't. And it might be different from who it seems like. And Jesus wants shepherdless sheep to have a good shepherd. Do you see the people? Do you see the potential? Do you see how we need to pray? Verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do you see how we need to pray? If you see the lostness of people and your heart is broken, if you see how many people God desires to save through his gospel, then what are you going to do but pray? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field to bring those shepherdless sheep to the good shepherd. Are you praying for more workers? I admit I get tired of that too. I get weary and I stop. There are 7.6 billion people on the planet today. Most of them do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The current missionary force that we have will not reach the world. We need to ask God to send more of us into the world to reach the world for Jesus Christ. As Keith was saying, next week we're going to have a special missionary guest, Sarah, I can't say her last name, so we just say Sarah Kay. Okay? Sarah Kay has been called to go serve the last, the least, and the lost in Panama. In fact, she's called to work with orphans. I'm sure that seeing orphans in Panama will break her heart. Sarah Kay is going to be with us at the Good News Cruise this Saturday, and she'll be here next Sunday to share her story with us. She has heard the call of the Lord of the harvest and is going out into the mission field. People have prayed. She's responded. She's heard the call of the Lord of the harvest. She's going out in the mission field. We need to pray for more. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That will only happen through prayer. That's why we have the harvest prayer time every month. The last Saturday of every month, a group of believers meets back there in the prayer room for one hour to pray the whole time for the lost. We've been praying for the Good News Cruise. It'll only happen through prayer. Why is that? Why does Jesus want us to ask the Lord of the Harvest to send out more workers? Doesn't the Lord of the Harvest know there's a worker shortage? Of course he does. At least two reasons why he wants us to ask. One, because when we ask, we get involved. When we are praying, there's a much greater chance that we will care about what God does with these situations. It pulls us in. In fact, we are often the answer to our own prayers. What happens in the very next verse? Chapter 10, verse 1. Those who are praying are sent on a mission themselves. When we begin to pray for the person down the street who needs the Lord so desperately, often he sends us to go get them. And number two, because God gets the most glory that way. Instead of our amassing a missionary army, we acknowledge our need and our dependence upon God to do it. And when he raises the army through our prayers, he gets the most glory. Notice in verse 38 that it is God's harvest field and that he is the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest is most glorified when he is the most needed. And prayer is the most humbling and needful act that the church can participate in. So we should pray for more workers. We should pray that people on Saturday would walk out into that crowd and share Jesus with shepherdless sheep. 
We should pray that we would be bold to talk to the people whose names were put in the fishbowl a few months ago. Have we forgotten about them? We need to pray for workers for our various ministries in the fall. Misty is going to need help putting on family Bible night. Teachers, helpers, game leaders, song leaders, the whole nine yards. ABC kids, kids for Christ, youth group, prayer meeting, link groups. We need to pray for these and for workers for these. And we need to pray for more workers to go out into the harvest field internationally and for people to support them to get there. Abe and Jordan Scasel still have like 25% of their support that still needs to be raised so they can go on campus and talk to Shepherd Lesheep at PSU about the Good Shepherd. Sarah Kay needs support to make it to Panama. And we need to pray hard this week for the Good News crews. Not for good weather, not for enough hot dogs, not for a bumper crop of cars. Good to pray for all those things. I, I, I am praying for all those things. God cares about those things too. But that's not what Jesus was seeing when he saw the crowd. Jesus was seeing spiritually needy people. And he was sending people who know him and know his gospel to connect them. So we need to pray that we would be sent out into the aisles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To paraphrase Jesus, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into that field right over there. You see how you need to pray? Let's pray together right now. Lord, I get compassion fatigue. You know I do. Help me, Lord, to see people the way you did. Often I can see the lostness, but sometimes I, I miss that. I see people as tools. They have something I need. I want to move this person over here so I can get that. Or I just need to get around them, avoid them. That's not how you saw people. Your heart hurt. Your, your gut hurt for the lostness of people. Lord, give me that kind of heart. Give me that kind of gut. Help me to see the shepherdlessness of people. But Lord, help me also to see the potential for them to be shepherded. Help us, Lord, to to see that the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of people who are going to come in. We just need to go and get them. Lord, give us that perspective on the Good News Cruise and on just a normal week going to work. Just everyday life. Help us, Lord, to see the people, to see the potential, and to pray. To pray that you would raise up the workers needed, including us, to go out there and share Jesus with them. That spark, that they might have that life to the full because of the good shepherd, Jesus. Lord, I pray for anybody right here, right now, that's saying, I need that. I don't have that shepherd. I'm lost. I just realized it. I need a shepherd. I pray for anybody here who, that's what you're doing in their heart, that they would turn from their sin and trust in the Savior who died for them 
who came back to life, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep only to take it back up again and offers them all of what it means for you to be their shepherd. Would you do that in somebody's heart right now, Lord? Give them that new spark of new life in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of the good shepherd, our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ.